if Satan can't get you to buy into human philosophy, and if he can't keep you from hearing the true gospel, he still has one powerful strategy left. Number five, he produces false believers in the true church. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Did you know that life outside of Christ is dominated either by false religion or by a perverted version of the gospel? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom is continuing his current series with part six of This Is Your Life. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul teaches that those who do not know Christ live in conformity to Satan himself and are in step with a spiritual atmosphere now powerfully working in the lives of unbelievers. Today you'll discover that if Satan can't keep you from hearing the gospel, if he can't get you into a false religion, if he can't get you into some perversion of the true faith, then he'll try to get you to live in self-deception. Are you aware of that? Have you experienced these tactics? Keep those questions in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. It is true that Satan has put a world system into place that appeals to the lust of the flesh, John says, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Yes, there is a world system Satan has put in place that appeals to those things. And we don't want to discount that. That is a reality. But Satan's major campaign, listen carefully, is not to get people to give in to their flesh. He doesn't have to. What does James say? Every man is tempted and drawn away and enticed, what? By his own cravings, by his own evil heart. Satan doesn't have to do that. You'll do that. I'll do that on our own. We'll do it on our own. So what is Satan's primary objective then if it's not to get us to pursue the flesh? I think Paul puts it very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Satan's task in the world is not fleshly primarily, it is spiritual primarily. How does Satan do this? How does he blind people to the truth of the gospel? How does he set them on a different spiritual path? Well, I'm convinced that the Bible teaches he has five primary strategies. Let me just give them to you quickly. These are key to understand. He has five primary spiritual strategies that he uses in the world to blind people to the truth. Strategy number one, he promotes human philosophy and ideology. He promotes human philosophy and ideology. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is talking about the revelation he's received from God of the truth in the Bible that's now inscripturated in the Bible. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, the wisdom we speak, is not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. It's not worldly wisdom, but we speak God's wisdom. He 
He's contrasting, you see, these two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of God that's revealed here, and then there's the wisdom of the world. Look down at verse, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. Here's he uses a very similar expression. We have not received the spirit of the world. He's not talking here about Satan. He's talking about that spiritual insight, that wisdom of the world, but we instead have received the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And we are not into, verse 13, human wisdom. You see the contrast all through this passage? There's God's wisdom and there's human wisdom. Human wisdom constitutes all that stands opposed to God. There's human philosophy and ideologies. They're hinted at here, but I think Paul puts it much more clearly and directly in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn there. 2 Corinthians 10. In verse 3, he says, we walk in the flesh. That is, we're human beings. We live as human beings, but we don't war according to the flesh. We don't fight with fleshly weapons, with human weapons. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare, who's our war with? Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Spiritual powers, spiritual beings. And the weapons of our warfare against those beings are not fleshly weapons, but instead they are divinely powerful. He's talking here, by the way, about the Scripture. He's talking about the revelation of God. And what do we do with these weapons we have, these truths contained in the Word of God? They destroy fortresses. The word fortresses is a very interesting word. It's a word that has the idea of of fortifications, used of prisons, also used of forts in the sense that we think of them. What are these fortresses? What are these forts? Look at the next verse. Destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. The word speculations is the word logismos in the Greek text. It means ideologies, philosophies. He says, listen, man, this is the picture he's presenting here. Man is incarcerated. He's held captive in prisons, in fortresses of wrong thinking, of philosophies and ideologies, and we need to storm those fortresses and destroy them with the revelation of God. This is Satan's tactic. Look around at the world. It is dominated by human philosophy, evolutionary naturalism, postmodernism, anti-supernaturalism, feminism, Radical environmentalism, humanism, materialism, and all the other isms. All anti-biblical ideologies are spawned and promoted by Satan himself to keep people's minds imprisoned and blinded to the truth. Second strategy. Not only does he promote human philosophy, number two, he promotes false religion false religion. Satan's greatest strategy to oppose the work of God in the world is to promote damning false religion. The Old Testament, of course, is permeated by the worship of idols and false gods. And behind each of those idols is a demon impersonating that God in order to enslave the people. This is exactly what Moses taught them. Turn back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32. In the song of Moses, as he lays out his song, 
He describes the sin of people Israel. And he says in verse 16 that Israel made God jealous with strange gods. They worshiped idols. They worshiped the gods of the peoples. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. But notice what was really happening behind the scenes. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they had not known, new gods whom came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. You see what Moses is saying? He's saying that those false gods of the nations, they don't exist. But behind them, propping them up as it were, are demons enslaving people in this false worship so they will not see, they will not respond to the true God. This is the message of the Old Testament. If we had time, I'd take you to Psalm 106, verses 35 and following, where the same point is made. But let me take you to the New Testament. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul makes this very same point during the New Testament era. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 14, he says, Beloved, flee from idolatry. He's talking about the nature of idolatry and what it does to you. Verse 18, look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? In other words, when they worship false gods, they were in fellowship with these beings. Verse 19, what do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. But I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Paul takes Moses' concept and he says, listen, wherever there is false religion, there is behind that religion the presence of evil in the presence of personal spiritual beings who impersonate that God and keep those people in slavery to that false system. I'm not saying they worship demons, nor was Paul saying they worship demons knowingly. They do it unwittingly. They think they're worshiping the God they say they're worshiping. But behind that being that doesn't exist is a demon. When Satan has full sway over the world in the future, what does he do? He sets up a false religious system under the Antichrist and the false prophet. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is what Satan does. He is about false religion. And during the tribulation period, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that the man of lawlessness, verse 3, the man of lawlessness will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And where does this come from? Where does this human being named Antichrist, or here called the man of lawlessness, where does he get the energy to do all of that? Look down at verse 9. The one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. This is what Satan has been about, is about, and will be about. He promotes false religions of every kind, from moralism to pagan idolatry, from the millions of gods of Hinduism to the environmentalist worship of Mother Earth. Apart from the true worship of the God revealed in Scripture, there is no religion that is not energized by Satan and his demons. 
That's what the scriptures teach. According to the New Testament, those who look like they're pursuing God, those who are pursuing man-made religion, listen carefully, they are not looking for God. They are not pursuing God. How do I know that? Paul couldn't make it any clearer in Romans 3. There is no one, categorically no one, who seeks for God. You say, well, what are they doing then? They're deserting the God who has revealed himself in creation and the God who has revealed himself in their consciences, and they are fleeing that God to a God who will give them permission to do what they want. Religion is a desertion of the true God, and it is all prompted by and scripted by and empowered by demons. Third strategy, Satan corrupts the true gospel and distorts the true Christ. He corrupts the true gospel and distorts the true Christ. You see, Satan is not just into paganism and idolatry. He's also involved in distorting and perverting the worship associated with the true God. 2 Corinthians 11.4 says that the devil, Satan, transforms himself into an angel of light. In other words, into a messenger of truth. Satan showed up here this morning. He wouldn't look diabolical. He would look like a wonderful religious teacher. Throughout the Bible, we see Satan actively seeking to corrupt the true worship of God. How does he do that? Through false teachers and false prophets. We find them endlessly in the Old Testament. They connect themselves to the true worship of God, but they take people off away from it. This mission of Satan only intensifies when it comes to the New Testament. Let me show you a couple of passages. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm sorry, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 12. Here you get a picture of what this looks like in a real church, the church in Corinth. It was a real church in a real place, just like our church. But notice what was happening in the true church, in the, among the true people of God in Corinth. Verse 12. Paul says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are. In other words, there are people in Corinth who are claiming to have equal authority, apostolic authority, to me, Paul says, and to the other apostles. And I'm going to cut off their opportunity to do that. Verse 13, here's why. For such men, now remember, these were people connected to the church in Corinth connected to the true worship of God. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Don't miss what Paul is saying here. This will change your view of some who teach error, serious, damning error in the church. They connect themselves to the church. They call themselves Christians. In this case, they call themselves apostles. And yet Paul says they are not true apostles. They are messengers or servants of Satan. Satan is about perverting and destroying the true faith of Christianity. And so he will bring his false teachers up in the church to look like they're the real thing. They'll try to connect with the church, pretend to be, when in fact they are not. This ranges from television preachers 
to cults. This past Sunday, I had a lengthy conversation with two Mormons, young men who are trapped in the system of Mormonism. It was really a a difficult thing because my heart went out to them. They told me, and this has become the common approach that Mormons have today, we worship the same Jesus Christ. That's what they said. We worship the same Christ. Here again is error trying to come into the church and look like they're the real thing. But under prompting and questioning, they had to admit ultimately that they believe in three separate gods, not one God in Trinity. They believe God the Father has a body. They believe that Jesus Christ is the physically born son of a physical union between God the Father and a woman. They believe that what God is, we can become, and that what we are, God once was. I had to say tragically to those young men, listen, no, we have a different God, we have a different Jesus, and we have a different gospel. But you see what Satan does is he tries to get as close as he can to the real thing, try to persuade you that we're all just worshiping the same Jesus. But it's a perversion. Number four, he prevents the spread of the gospel. He prevents the spread of the gospel. In Matthew 13, you remember the parable of the soils? There's seed, the gospel, sown on one heart that's hard. And that hard heart, the seed falls on it, and Jesus says this, the evil one, speaking of Satan, snatches the word away, snatches the seed away. Satan is about preventing the spread of the gospel, whether it's to an individual heart or whether it's larger. Satan obstructs world missions. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Satan also is behind the persecution of Christians to try to limit the spread of the gospel. In Revelation chapter 2, John writes to the church in Smyrna, Jesus Christ says through John, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. He does everything he can to squash the gospel and its spread. Listen to me carefully. If Satan can't get you to buy into human philosophy, if he can't get you to go after false religions of various kinds, if he can't get you sidetracked into some cult or some other perversion of the true faith, and if he can't keep you from hearing the true gospel, it spreads to you, he still has one powerful strategy left. Number five, he produces false believers in the true church. He produces false believers in the true church. And I'm afraid our churches are filled with such people who walked an aisle at some point, signed a card, prayed a prayer, but their lives manifest no evidence of being disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave a parable. Turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. He gives the parable of the wheat and the tares. You remember the wheat and the tares, a, a, a plant that looks very similar until it comes to full head. And they all get mixed in together. The wheat is useful. The tares are worthless. After he gives the parable, verse 36, 
When he left the crowds and went into the house, the disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. I sow the good seed. The field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. In other words, in this case, the seed is not the truth of the gospel. The seed is these who are true believers in Christ. And he plants them all over the world. But the tares, verse 38, are the sons of the evil one. They're unbelievers. And they're mixed in with the true. Growing up together, both looking the same for a while. Verse 39, and the enemy who sowed those tares is the devil. You know what Jesus is saying? Here is Satan's strategy. If he can't keep you from hearing the gospel, if he can't get you into a false religion, if he can't get you into some perversion of the true faith, he'll let you sit in a church where the true faith is taught and think you're a believer. Live in self-deception. Matthew 7, 21 says, many will say to me, Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, look at all we've done. And I'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Those are the primary ways Satan keeps people spiritually blind. Now go back to Ephesians 2 and we'll be done. Ephesians 2. The context is this. Paul says, when we were spiritually dead, before we came to know Christ, we walked or lived in step with, in conformity to, Satan himself. And particularly, we were in step with that spiritual atmosphere that is now powerfully working in the lives of unbelievers. Our lives were dominated either by false religion or by a perverted version of the true faith. For some of us, we never heard the gospel at all. Or perhaps you are like many, like I was, who grew up understanding the true faith, but we lived in utter self-deception, thinking that we belonged to Christ when we didn't. Whatever your situation was, you were in step with Satan in one of those ways. But then God did an amazing thing. He stepped into our blindness and he gave us light. He stepped into our spiritual death and he gave us life. Colossians 1 says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. How did he do that? Look at Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God. Those are the two most wonderful words in the English language. Look at what we were. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. How did he do it? By grace, verse 5 says. And verses 8 and 9 say, through faith, by believing in Christ and him alone. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're in Christ, all you have to do, very simply is accept the grace offered to you in Christ, turn from what you know to be sin, and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And He will take you from spiritual blindness to spiritual light. He will take you from spiritual death into spiritual life. That's the promise of a gracious God. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of This Is Your Life. Join us next time for part seven as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. And Tom, for those of us in Christ, it's not an overstatement to say that Satan seeks to destroy our faith. Isn't that so? That's right. In fact, that is exactly what Jesus said to Peter when he said, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. In other words, to destroy your faith. And yet Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And so Satan is out to destroy the faith of every true believer. But the good news is, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. He will not allow that faith to be destroyed. He will continue to work in us. And as Paul puts it so beautifully in Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Satan is our enemy, out to destroy us, but we serve a risen Lord who is far more powerful than our enemy. Thanks, Tom. Church leadership can often seem like hazardous duty. Leaders can have both mountaintop experiences and seasons of discouragement. How can you, as a leader of Christ's church, faithfully respond to the different perspectives on leadership and the trials and triumphs of ministry? In Tom Pennington's book, Faithful Stewards, Tom identifies three key perspectives on church leadership that can help you maintain spiritual stability in ministry. Purchase your copy of Faithful Stewards today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. 